You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Here at Cross and Crown, we believe that the Bible is God's word to us. And when we read the Bible, we are hearing God speak. We're working our way through quite a long passage again today. The passage is taken from 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 6 to chapter 19, verse 24. Um, I'll be reading from the CSB version. Uh, please follow along in your own Bibles, and uh, the passage will also be displayed on the screen. As the troops were coming back when David was returning from killing the Philistine, the woman came out from all the cities of Israel to meet King Saul, singing and dancing with tambourines, with shouts of joy and with three-stringed instruments. As they danced, the woman sang, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Saul was furious and resented this song. They credited tens of thousands to David, he complained, but they only credited me with thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul watched David jealously from that day forward. The next day, an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul, and he began to rave inside the palace. David was playing the lyre as usual, but Saul was holding a spear, and he threw it, thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. But David got away from him twice. Saul was afraid of David, because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. Therefore, Saul sent David away from him, and made him commander over a thousand men. David led the troops, and continued to be successful in all his activities, because the Lord was with him. When Saul observed that David was very successful, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David because he was leading their troops. Saul told David, Here is my oldest daughter Mirab. I'll give her to you as a wife if you will be a warrior for me and fight the Lord's battles. But Saul was thinking, I don't need to raise a hand against him. Let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Then David responded, who am I and what is my family or my father's clan in Israel that I should become the king's son-in-law? When it was time to give Saul's daughter Mirab to David, she was given to Adriel, the Meholothite, as a wife. Now Saul's daughter Michal loved David, and when it was reported to Saul, it pleased him. I'll give her to him, Saul thought. She'll be a trap for him and the hand of the Philistines will be against him. So Saul said to David a second time, You can now be my son-in-law. Saul then ordered his servants, Speak to David in private and tell him, Look, the king is pleased with you, and all his servants love you. Therefore you should become the king's son-in-law. Saul's servants reported these words directly to David, but he replied, Is it trivial in your sight to become the king's son-in-law? I am a poor commoner. The servants reported back to Saul. These are the words David spoke. Then Saul replied, Say this to David. 
The king desires no other bride price except a hundred Philistine foreskins to take revenge on his enemies. Actually, Saul intended to cause David's death at the hands of the Philistines. When the servants reported these terms to David, he was pleased to become the king's son-in-law. Before the wedding day arrived, David and his men went out and killed 200 Philistines. He brought their foreskins and presented them as full payment to the king to become his son-in-law. Then Saul gave his daughter, Michal, to David as his wife. Saul realized that the Lord was with David and that his daughter Michal loved him, and he became even more afraid of David. As a result, Saul was David's enemy from then on. Every time the Philistine commanders came out to fight, David was more successful than all of Saul's officers, so his name became well known. Saul ordered his son Jonathan and all his servants to kill David, but Saul's son Jonathan liked David very much, so he told him, My father Saul intends to kill you. Be on your guard in the morning and hide in a secret place and stay there. I'll go out and stand beside my father in the field where you are and talk to him about you. When I see what he says, I'll tell you. Jonathan spoke well of David to his father Saul. He said to him, The king should not sin against his servant David. He hasn't sinned against you. In fact, his actions have been a great advantage to you. He took his life in his hands when he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great victory for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. So why would you sin against innocent blood by killing David for no reason? Saul listened to Jonathan's advice and swore an oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. So Jonathan summoned David and told him all these words. Then Jonathan brought David to Saul and he served him as he did before. When war broke out again, David went out and fought against the Philistines. He defeated them with such great force that they fled from him. Now an evil spirit sent from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his palace holding a spear. David was playing the lyre, and Saul tried to pin David to the wall with a spear. As the spear struck the wall, David eluded Saul, ran away, and escaped that night. Saul sent agents to David's house to watch for him and kill him in the morning. But his wife Michal warned David, If you don't escape tonight, you will be dead tomorrow. So she lowered David from the window, and he fled and escaped. Then Michal took the household idol and put it on the bed, placed some goat hair on its head, and covered it with a garment. When Saul sent agents to seize David, Michal said, He's sick. Saul sent the agents back to see David and said, Bring him on his bed so I can kill him. When the agents arrived, to their surprise, the household idol was on the bed with some goat hair on its head. Saul asked Michal, Why did you deceive me like this? You sent my enemy away and he has escaped. She answered him, He said to me, Let me go. Why should I kill you? So David fled and escaped and went to Samuel at Ramah and told him everything Saul had done to him. Then he and Samuel left and stayed at Naioth. When it was reported to Saul, that David was at Naioth in Ramah. He sent agents to seize David. 
However, when they saw the group of prophets prophesying with Samuel leading them, the Spirit of God came on Saul's agents, and they also started prophesying. When they reported to Saul, he sent other agents, and they also began prophesying. So Saul tried again and sent a third group of agents, and even they began prophesying. Then Saul himself went to Ramah. He came to the large cistern at Seku and asked, Where are Samuel and David? At Nioth in Ramah, someone said. So he went to Nioth in Ramah. The Spirit of God also came down on him. And as he walked along, he prophesied until he entered Nioth in Ramah. Saul then removed his clothes and also prophesied before Samuel. He collapsed and lay naked all that day and all that night. That is why they say, Is Saul also among the prophets? Now let's begin with this question. Have you ever opposed God? Now if you're not a Christian, maybe you'd say you don't really oppose God. It's just that you don't believe in Him, which is fair enough. But there should have been something, I guess, you've heard about God from Christians, perhaps, that you resist, right? Maybe it's his judgment. Maybe it's his laws or his allowance of suffering. Even for those of us here who are Christians, there are still times where we oppose God, aren't there? Probably more often than we'd like to admit. There are certain sins we'd like to keep, certain people we'd like to continue to begrudge and certain parts of our lives that we'd like to withhold. Well, friends, this is the theme that we have the privilege of exploring today, because today we get to explore Saul's opposition of David, God's king. Now, have you ever wondered why we often oppose God, even as Christians? Well, for Saul, there's this refrain that we hear throughout this passage. It's, that Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him. Which is actually quite strange because usually the presence of the Lord brings about blessing, particularly throughout 1 Samuel. When the Lord was with Samuel, Israel blessed, was blessed by his leadership and guidance. When the Lord was with Saul, he won his battles against Israel's enemies. And in the last chapter, the Lord was with David and empowered him to defeat Goliath. Yet here, the Lord being with David terrified Saul. Why? Well, for Saul, I think he knew he was on the wrong side of God. He was afraid of God's judgment. So what does he do? He opposes David. He opposes God's King. And perhaps we oppose God for similar reasons. Maybe as Christians we know we don't have to fear God's judgment because of what Christ has done for us. But to the extent that our lives are not fully aligned to Christ, I think to that extent we fear God's displeasure. And so we resist Him. What we'll see today that opposing God's anointed king is futile. Uh, my sermon will trace this story under three points. First, Saul's opposition. Second, 
God's protection. And third, our position. And hopefully by the end of this sermon, we'll see not only is opposing God's king futile, it's also unnecessary. For despite our fears, God's king does not seek our harm, but only our good. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to open your word today, Lord. Father, fill us, Lord, with your Holy Spirit. Reveal to us your word and help us see your Christ in all of this. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So the story begins with David, Saul, and his troops returning from the victory against Goliath and the Philistines. What a joyous day that would have been. I'd imagine it to be similar to the end of World War II. Just everyone dancing on the streets, rejoicing that the war was over. It was a joyful occasion for everyone, except one person. You see, when they wrote the song to commemorate this victory, the women highlighted David's valor more than Saul. Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Now, it's one thing to be reminded that someone is better than you, but to have it put into a particularly catchy tune and sung by the whole kingdom must have been particularly grating for Saul. Now, I know we don't listen to the radio anymore, but can you imagine being Saul, turning on the radio in the morning, and this song pops up? Our number one hit this week for the 20th week in a row, 10,000 Reasons, David is Better Than Saul. He has to listen to it again on his way to the palace. must have been so infuriating. But we've all felt jealous or envious, haven't we? We kind of understand how Saul feels. It could have been at a wedding where you were once again the guest or the bridal party, but not the bride or groom. Or it could be when you caught up with your friend and you realized how much better they're doing in life compared to you. And it's interesting how jealousy and envy work, isn't it? It's actually this negative emotion that arises not because anything is actually happening to you, anything bad or anything, but because someone else is being blessed. Something good is happening to someone else but it's not happening to you. And you resent that, like Saul resents it. And sometimes to justify our resentment, we start magnifying that person's flaws. We tell ourselves, hey, this person doesn't deserve this blessing. They don't deserve the life that they have. They don't deserve their looks, their treasure, their success, or their spouse. Why are they blessed, but not me? So our jealousy slowly turns into resentment towards the person. But that's the problem, right? Why does God bless them and not me? I'm not less deserving than them. Why is God so unfair? So in jealousy, we not only begrudge the person for their blessing, we subtly begrudge God, the giver of those blessings. 
You see, Saul's trigger for opposing David isn't some tragedy Saul experienced or him being mistreated by David in any way. Saul's trigger for his opposition to God's king was jealousy. A victory won by David for him and his kingdom. Look at what ticked him off in verse 8. They credited tens of thousands to David, but only credited him with thousands. He didn't get the credit that he wanted. Which is interesting because given last week's story, I think David deserved that credit, don't you? It's not like David cut the cue to kill Goliath. Israel was shaking in their boots for 40 days before David came. Saul had plenty of time to fight Goliath, yet he would not. And he resents the fact that David got the credit for winning a battle he was not willing to fight. But look deeper at what Saul was afraid of most in verse 8. What more can he have but the kingdom? Ever since Samuel prophesied over Saul that someone would replace him, Saul was afraid that he would lose his kingdom. So Saul watched David jealousy from that day forward. Because the kingdom can only have one king. And that's what happens with us when it comes to jealousy, right? It triggers our deep-seated fear of loss. Saul was afraid that with people's affection going towards David, somehow they would stop loving him. And if he lost the love of the people, he would also lose his throne. And I think that's why we feel jealous sometimes. We're afraid that if others are loved more because of their success, then we will be loved less. We're afraid that another person's rise leaves us unloved. So at bottom, jealousy probably comes from a deep fear of being unloved. And you know what I can't seem to shake from this chapter? If we look at Saul's fear and jealousy of David, it's repeatedly linked to the fact that the Lord was with him. Verses 12, 14 to 15, and verse 28. The Lord that used to be with Saul before he was rejected as king is now with David. So I actually think in a deeper sense, he was not just afraid of losing his kingdom. I think he was grieved that because of his sins, he lost his relationship with the Lord. And I have to wonder whether Saul's jealousy actually comes from a deep fear that he is unloved by God. And he reacts to that by opposing God's king. And I do wonder if sometimes we oppose God out of a similar fear. Despite our theology, deep down, we are still afraid that God does not love us. And if that's you, friends, I hope you continue with me in this sermon. Now, this jealousy grows into resentment, not just to the song, but now to the person of David. An evil spirit sent from God came on Saul like it usually does, and David played this liar to soothe 
Saul, like he usually does. Now, two chapters ago, Saul was always relieved by David when he played the liar. But Saul's jealousy of David has grown to the point where he actually preferred David's harm over his own relief. In fact, his heart is probably such that he would be more relieved by David's harm than by the spirit, the evil spirit leaving him. He threw his spear at David twice. I wonder if you've ever reached that stage of jealousy before. Inwardly breathing a sigh of relief when someone we've been jealous of has some kind of downfall. And just notice how awful the progression of that sin is. See how how twisted our hearts can become. We can go from despising someone because of their blessings to actually being relieved by their suffering. And that's what jealousy and envy does, friends. But fortunately, David escaped Saul, but Saul continued to oppose him. After this, Saul devises a plan. Instead of killing David himself, he thought it would be best to let his enemies do it for him. So twice, he encourages David to fight the Philistines for him so that he could have his daughter's hand in marriage. Let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Now, if he was paying attention, he should have remembered the hand of the strongest Philistine was against him, and he lost. So despite Saul's scheming and plotting David, uh, to get David to die in war, David ends up succeeding and defeating the Philistines. So Saul tested David, but he passed the test with flying colors. He gave Saul double the requested bride price. And if we think about bride price in an honor-shame culture, David is basically giving Saul double the honor. Which is interesting because if we think about the song that triggered Saul's jealousy at the start, David is actually giving Saul the honor that he hungers for. But Saul's too far gone in his resentment, and I assume he sees twice the foreskins as just David showing off rather than honoring him. But a resentful person can make anything negative, I suppose. Now, I want us to take a step back here and consider Saul's relationship with David. At the end of chapter 18, it says, from then on, Saul was David's enemy. And I want you to identify, if you can, where in this chapter did David give Saul reason to hate him? Firstly, David won the battle against Goliath for his kingdom and his king. David killed Saul's great enemy, the enemy he was too afraid to face. Yet Saul was jealous of his victory. Second, David relieved Saul whenever he was overcome by an evil spirit. He always relieved him with a liar. Yet Saul rejected his relief. Third, David fought and defeated the Philistines. David proved his valor and strength in the battlefield and his willingness to fight for his king. Saul's testing of David brought Saul victory over his enemies. David has only ever done good to Saul. Yet somehow, Saul's fear and jealousy 
turned David's deeds into threats. And friends, I hope you see this is probably true of us too. We often oppose Jesus because we fear him, not realizing that he has only ever sought our good. So Saul becomes an enemy of David, but thankfully, God protects his king. See, in chapter 19, Saul becomes more explicit in his antagonism towards David. He becomes murderous. But fortunately, God protects David through various people. Saul begins by ordering Jonathan and his servants to kill David. But because Jonathan loves David, he mediates on his behalf. Uh, In chapter 19, verses 4 to 5, it says, The king should not sin against his servant David. He hasn't sinned against you. In fact, his actions have been a great advantage to you. He took his life in his hands when he struck down the Philistine, and the Lord brought about a great victory for all Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. So why would you sin against innocent blood by killing David for no reason? He speaks of David's innocence and how he's blessed Saul. And Jonathan's mediation was successful. Saul swears not to kill David, and David could return to Saul's court for a while. And then Saul breaks his oath through his spear, and he's back to wanting to kill David. Until Michal intervenes. Unlike Jonathan, Michal doesn't trust her father and tells David to escape and run. She lies about where David is to buy him time and lies about Saul and about why she uh, lies to Saul about why she helped him. So while Jonathan mediated to protect David, Michal separated David from Saul to protect him. And after his escape, David flees to Samuel. And while staying with Samuel, Saul sends men to capture David. To protect David, Samuel and his prophets go about prophesying, and the Spirit of God came on Saul's men, and they start prophesying. Saul sends two more groups, and they start prophesying as well. And in the end, Saul himself went to capture David. And you know what? I think this illustrates the dynamic of the last two chapters. Time and time again, Saul trusts in the sword and spear to destroy David. He uses his own spear to pin him. He uses the Philistines to kill him. He uses his servants and children to destroy him. And here, he uses his men. But again and again, the Spirit of God protects David. He saves David from the spear. He grants David success over the Philistines. Saul's children and servants love David, and his men are no match for the Spirit's power. So despite Saul being the most powerful man in Israel, and despite throwing everything at David, God protects his anointed king through it all. Opposing God's king is futile. And something interesting actually happens with Saul at the end of this story. Look at verses 23 to 24. The Spirit of God came upon Saul and stripped himself of his clothes, and he collapsed naked all day. And night. He was utterly humiliated. And what's interesting is these verses are actually reminiscent about the first time the Spirit of God came.
came upon Saul. In 1 Samuel 10, verses 9 to 11, it says this, When Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed his heart, and all the signs came about that day. When Saul and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a group of prophets met him. Then the Spirit of God came powerfully on him, and he prophesied along with them. Everyone who knew him previously and saw him prophesy with the prophets asked each other, What has happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? And from there, he went on to fight and win against the Ammonites. So the first time the Spirit of God came upon Saul, it was to anoint him as king. And here, the last time the Spirit of God came upon Saul, it was to strip him of his kingship. He literally stripped himself of his royal robe. And such is the judgment that awaits those who oppose God's king. Now, we can live our lives the way we want to. We can refuse his victory, refuse his relief, and keep testing his mercy. But one day, those who oppose God's king will be stripped and shamed for their sins and disobedience. Now, where do we find ourselves in a story like this? Do we gloat because we're like David, aligned with God's purposes? Or maybe you were here last week and remember we're not the hero of this story. But at least we're like Jonathan. We're aligned to God's king. Do we boast that we've bet on the right horse and will be vindicated at the end? Or should we despair because we're like Saul? We've opposed God's king, and this story foretells our demise, the judgment and humiliation that awaits us on the final day. Would it surprise you, friends, if I told you that somehow, as Christians, we're both? You see, like Saul, we've opposed God and his king. We've been jealous of his victory and wanted to save ourselves. We've rejected the relief he's offered us, and we've tested him multiple times. But here's the strange thing. Despite all this, somehow, though we are like Saul in our opposition to God, we are like David in our enjoyment of God's protection. We don't suffer the consequences Saul suffered. The question is why? How does that even work? How is this even possible? Well, the answer lies with a descendant of David, a son of David, if you will. His name is Jesus Christ. You see, like David, people envied Jesus to the point of wanting to kill him. And like David, people rejected the grace and relief that Jesus offered them. And like David, people tested his power and strength. Like David, they opposed Jesus despite 
Jesus only blessing and doing good to them. However, unlike David, Jesus was not protected. You see, nobody mediated for Jesus against the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin. And nobody mediated for Jesus against Pilate. Nobody separated Jesus from those who want him killed. And instead of those who opposed him being humiliated, Jesus was the one humiliated. He was the one who collapsed and lay naked all day at the cross. The question is, why? Why, if Jesus is God's king, did he experience the opposition and persecution that David experienced, but not God's protection over him? Why did God not protect Jesus like he did David? My dear brothers and sisters, it's because God did not send Jesus to protect himself. God sent Jesus to protect you. See, Jesus had no mediator so that through his death and resurrection, he can be your mediator. Like Jonathan, Jesus can speak to his father saying, I have not sinned against you. My actions have brought a great advantage to you. And through you, I have brought about a great victory. Now, credit my righteousness to them and lay their iniquity on me. And so our Heavenly Father did. And Jesus' mediation was not just temporarily successful like Jonathan, but permanently successful. Now there is no more enmity between you and God, despite your sin. And nobody separated Jesus from his enemies so that he could separate you from yours. So he could separate you from Satan, sin, and death and transfer you from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus was stripped and humiliated so that you may be clothed from your shame in his righteousness. Jesus suffered Saul's consequences so that you can enjoy David's protection. What a king we have in Christ. Now, how should we live in light of this story? First, in our life and mission, we can expect opposition, yet we can face it with courage and grace because we have Christ. We have Christ, the one whom our opponents desperately need. And we have Christ, who protects us even unto death. Second, we, not, we need not be jealous or envious 
of others. Because we have Christ. We have a treasure greater than all the treasures of this world combined. We have a love greater than any man or woman can offer. We have Christ. How are we not the envy of this world? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for Jesus Christ, the one whom loved us. Though we opposed him, he died for us so that, and protected us so that we may live. Father, please help us live in this world to honor your king, uh, gratefully and with contentment, knowing that we have Christ, and Christ is ours forevermore. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.